and welcome to KeeperCast, the Keeper of the Lost Cities podcast. I'm Sammy. I'm Ivy. And this is episode 32, brought to you by That Boy. That Boy. <laughs> this week we started the Lodestar. There's no the. There's a the if we want there to be. You know, that's fair. The Keeper of the Lost Cities. Wait, that's already... Wait, there okay. already is a the in that. The Keeper, it's like, you know those... those brain things that are like the keeper of the the lost cities i think that's what it should be called oh like where the the is on two different lines so Mm -hmm. like you only read it as one the yeah and then they like shame you (laughs) so we read lodestar chapter one through eight you know i actually have a lot to say about lodestar so i think i'm gonna let you go first do you have anything you want to say before we begin just about the book overall something that i thought was cool was i felt like sophie it was more apparent in the beginning of this book is like Sophie's really matured and just this thing that she said to Fitz in like chapter whatever this is like five or whatever she's like talking about Bronte and she says like how Bronte said that like she saw the goodness um even in people who had a lot of darkness and she's like been trying to live up to that and be the person that he saw her as and like that was really nice yeah yeah that was a good part lodestar's always been a contentious book in my head just like personally (laughs) and like i don't know i i haven't completely worked through my feelings on lodestar about this so this is not gonna sound that polished but like when i first read lodestar i like really really disliked it and i think i've talked about this before but like it was the first cuddle book that like really let me down and then as the years passed as the years passed i haven't re- reread lodestar since that first time but like i've thought about it more and it's actually a lot it's it's a lot better like in retrospect than how it was at the beginning to me and i think a lot of that was just because the keith thing where it turned out that he was a double agent that was just like a knee jerk reaction for me where it wasn't what I expected, so I just really hated it, and then I hated where the direction that the story was going, but, like, by this point, I've kind of just accepted that Keith is going to be a double agent, despite me personally wishing it would have gone in a different direction, and, like, if you are going to go there, I feel like Lodestar was a good way to go about it. So that's my opinion on Lodestar. My lukewarm take. Yeah, that that is a good take. I like that take. So this is going to be an interest and blah blah an interesting experience because I have never reread Lodestar. I've I've reread the first four books um at some point like before doing Keepercast, but this is the first time since twenty seventeen that I will be revisiting Lodestar. And like from the eight chapters that we read this week, like honestly, I think my yeah, it was good. Like, my new opinion of Lodestar is kind of holding up. Like, it is definitely not as bad as I remember it being. They were good, bro. I actually don't remember. I didn't remember this beginning very Oh, man. This well. was, like, burned into my memory probably the because... first chapter. Yeah. Oh, really? Really? Probably because I didn't... Um... I read it at like 11 p.m. like in the car, low light. Like I was not like 
coherent. No, I read it in the signing line. Oh, I waited. Yeah. So yeah, I totally had forgotten much, much, much of this. I mean, reading it now, it was good. <laughs> yeah, I was especially impressed with kind of. This may just be like my English class brain going off, but <laughs> I was impressed with. There were all these little bits of subtext that I thought were I hadn't seen a lot. Yeah, it was in all like Cuddle. really well set up. Yeah, right. And 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 everything that each of the characters were saying, it's like, oh yes, like this this tells you yes, something about their personality. Character. Yeah, exactly. Which was they were really actually nice. in character. I was like, oh my god, their actions make sense. <laughs> their actions I'm thrilled. Are 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 concurrent with their actual how they view the world and their backstories and things that have happened and things that will that they will do in the future and how they're maturing i hate that the bar is so low (laughs) i mean that's like hard though so like good job true yeah the first chapter the reason it's burned into my brain is because it was released early and like that was in 2017 which was when i was like young and sprightly and like not jaded yet (laughs) so i was like i was like hyper analyzing that chapter for like the whole month leading up to the release so i remember that chapter very well 2017 that was three years ago that was when you were my age how are you young and sprightly wait was it 2016 Hold on, let me check the page thing. <laughs> Wait. Oh, it I can't was do that. 2016, you, you do 2016. Oh my god, it was 2016? November of 2016 sure was a time, wasn't it? Oh my god. Moving on. <laughs> Honestly, like, from that perspective, 2016 was much longer ago than 2017. So, like, yes, I was young and sprightly back then. So the first chapter is where they're back at Foxfire, all of the main characters, sort of minus Tam and Lynn, right? Because they're still at Exilium at this point. Um, and it's midterms, so there's the confetti and all that jazz. Um, so every, there's this, like, exterior that everything's okay, and, like, everything's, quote-unquote, back to normal, but, like, inside Sophie is... Now it's super paranoid because she thinks, like, everybody around her is going to betray her because, like, Olvar has just betrayed them, Keith has just supposedly betrayed them, like, she's just feeling very insecure about all of that. And I thought that this was actually a really good beginning. I know, right? It was so good. It was chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. But, like, I also appreciate that how, before Keith's arrival, like, in the first chapter, um, it was, like... The, the the tone stayed pretty light. Like, it didn't immediately go into, like, all of the, like, heavy death and despair kind of stuff. Like, they we they introduced the ripple fluffs. There was the whole, like, gift exchange thing where um, Fitz gave Sophie, like, the cognate thumb rings. That brings up, that brings up actually some questions that I had about the English language. Um, yes, I, I know exactly what you're going to say. Yeah. Fave. So, yeah, so in this chapter, Sophie says that Fitzroy Avery Vacker says that his initials spell fave, but, like, they use it as a pun. So, is the word fave the same in English as it is in the Enlightened language? Because that's the only way that 
th- that would work. Okay, so I was thinking, did they? S- I think that Fitz speaks English. Oh, uh, that would that would make sense actually because he was speaking English to Sophie at the beginning of the first book, I think. In which case, it is super sweet because it's like he's he's like he's he had these um these rings engraved in like Sophie's first language and like yeah. that's really cute. Wait, that <laughs> makes me wonder. That makes me wonder. Like, <laughs> wait, no. Now we're getting back into the old discussion of like, can Sophie read? Sophie can definitely read English. No, no, no. I know Sophie can read English, but like, did Fitz? Would Fitz have engraved the initials in English or in the Enlightened language? Like, which alphabet? And if he did it in the Enlightened language, then how come Sophie can read them? I don't even know, my dude. Uh, uh, let's just assume for the moment that Sophie is like a Schrodinger's step into reading. Like, Schrodinger. She, she's at all the levels at once. <laughs> Okay, we'll assume that Sophie can read only when it's relevant to the plot. Got it. Yes, that is great. I also had another point about that same thing, where the first time they talked, they mentioned that Fitz's full name is Fitzroy, which obviously means son of the king. And well, not obviously, unless you're well-versed in Latin. This very well feeds into my point. It means son of the king in, you know... It's French, I think. It's It's... French? Okay, I was going to say romance language, question, question. (laughs) But later, it says, when the humans betrayed the elves all those millennia ago. And so it's like, so many of the elven names mean like noble or they mean whatever in human languages but like latin wasn't invented by the time the split happened exactly so so like what's up with that okay so i guess you could make an argument that like fitzroy isn't exactly latin for son of the king it's like a namified version of it so like you could argue that it came from like that like the stem of latin that like latin came from a common language yes that's true however um just like i mean maruka means snail so like it doesn't necessarily (laughs) okay yes that would be cool if it came from like proto-indo-european or something or okay I, i don't know that's like the only like that's like the only like pre-like greek-like language that i know i i mean that i like know of so like people who know actual linguistics would probably call me out on this but anyway the point is if they were in contact with the humans when they had the languages that would lead to like romance languages and stuff but not because that would technically fit within within multiple millennia right I mean, 2,000 years is technically multiple millennia, but nah, not really. Uh, so it would be cool then if um, the elven languages sort of developed in a similar way to... If the elven languages developed similar to English 
not English, to uh, human languages. That would be cool. But then it's kind of like they came up with a runic language from this. I guess I'm just wondering, like, like how did that development work? And like, okay, Shannon Messenger has definitely not thought about this, but that would be a cool thing. Honestly, in this podcast, in the world, I feel like authorial intent really like doesn't matter all that much. So like when we're talking about the stuff, it's like, it's like maybe something could be cool if it was thought of this way. And like, it doesn't really matter if the author intended it for it to be thought of so-and-so or not, because like, if you can parse something cool out of the text, then like, that's fun. But yeah, that is really interesting. And in a field for which I know absolutely nothing. There were like two other things that I wanted to bring up in like the first first chapter. That was that um one was that I really really liked how they brought up the Vackers and how Alvar's betrayal was like affecting them. They just brought that up right from the get-go of how like they're no longer considered like the golden family and people are kind of avoiding them. Like I feel like that was a good example of how actions have consequences. Yes, that is true. I like it when actions have consequences. It makes it Okay, uh, like all jokes aside, it makes it like a much richer story and just raises the stakes and makes it feel like, I mean, actions having consequences means that actions have meaning, which is kind of what being invested in the story is all about. And so that was really great to see. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. You know, I have more to say about actions having consequences specifically in this book, but I think I'll bring it up later. <laughs> But I think you know where I'm going with it. Maybe. Okay. What's the other thing? Yeah, the second thing I wanted to bring up was a very tiny thing. But it felt like Diana, like the ship of Dex and Biana was kind of being teased here. Like they're like Dex gave Biana a panic switch, except it was kind of had like romantic undertones to it. And I was just wondering like what happened to that, because I feel like in later books they have They've been close, but it's been, like, purely as a bro TP. Yeah. I think that probably it was just, um... Probably it was something that was intended and then was discarded as, like, oh, it turned out to not make sense. Yeah, you know, I feel like... Which I respect. I... Honestly, I feel like... This happens a lot in the books where, like, there'll be, like, a one-liner that kind of implies a ship, and then it's not really brought up again, and I have a feeling, like, okay, like, conspiracy theory time, I think it's, like, it might be Shannon, like, trying out ships to see, like, which one ends up working out, or, like, which one ends up being popular, because there was that whole one line about how, like, Tam likes brunettes in forget what book that was in, but that line totally took off, and Tiana became much more, I mean, from what I remember, I think Tiana became quite a bit more popular than Diana. So that's with a T rather than a D. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying, though. I think it's interesting because that that's something that I think um, TV shows do, where they will they will create a lot of open-ended things in one in one season or in one you know set of episodes 
and then figure out which ones they want to continue on with so it seems like it's continuity and the ones that don't take i mean it is continuity but the ones that don't take they can could just kind of discard but they have options it feels like that's what's going on that's true actually and Okay, honestly, like, not to keep going on with this um, conspiracy theory, but, like, it seems like that's happening with a lot of the non-relationship-related stuff, too. I'm mainly talking about the plot. <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, I feel like in these later books, like, sort of starting in Lodestar, going on further, it's like, I feel like a lot of stuff kind of gets thrown at you in one book, and then some of it carries on, and some of it is just dropped. Like, before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about legacy and like that random British guy who just shows up, right? Who was like killed by vehicular manslaughter. And I said <laughs> it was vehicular murder, not vehicular manslaughter. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think manslaughter is actually a type of murder. No, no, it's not. Because manslaughter is unintentional killing of a person by another person, but murder is premeditated. I think no no wait okay I don't know I'm not I'm not 100% sure but I don't think it's manslaughter because it was intentional and it was like yeah yeah I think manslaughter is unintentional huh that's cool I mean not in the murder sense but like <laughs> anyway Keith I actually don't have really anything to say about like Keith's whole thing, That's except we'll that like, now. like I I don't think that it should have been done that way, but honestly, it did happen that way, and like it pretty much worked. So it's like it's fine, you know. Like I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It's like I've kind of come to terms with the fact that things didn't turn out the way I wanted, and like. I talked about this with Star on one of the previous episodes, but, like, I don't think that Keith being a double agent is actually a bad plot. I think in how it was executed, it was done a little bit clumsily, and with them not thinking about the consequences of some actions. Um, when will you learn? When will you learn that your actions have consequences? So, yes, basically. <laughs> um, and, like, Okay, first, I think we should give some context. So, this is the point where Keith just kind of shows up in Magnate Leto's office. He does the dramatic spinny chair thing. I've been waiting for you. <laughs> yes, pretty much. And, um, and then he and Sophie have a little chat, and then he blows up Foxfire. No, so he only blows up- Those are a series of events. The, it's a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> <laughs> he only blows up the, the Louvre part. That's a very important distinction, because it's the part where there were no students, and therefore he did not commit incendiary manslaughter. <laughs> no, he didn't kill anyone. Okay, so I just want to start by saying that I actually really liked this scene. Like, I thought it was a good scene. This entire section was actually just very good. Like, it was well written. Like you said, like, all the characters made sense. Like, it just, it worked. Yeah, yeah. However. So, my main issue with this scene is that by the time Sophie finds Keith, it seems like it's already established that Keith is a double agent. Like, Sophie just kind of assumes that that's what he's doing, whereas at the end of Never Seen, that very much didn't seem like the case. 
Like, it seemed, I mean, Sophie seemed completely betrayed. She didn't seem like she thought that Keith was going to go off and risk his life. Like, she wasn't worried for Keith. She felt like he had betrayed her and gone to the never-seen side, and maybe, I mean, she probably didn't think that he was evil necessarily at the end of Never Seen, but she thought that he was misguided and making the wrong choices. So now in Lodestar, I was just very confused why all of a sudden she's just like, yeah, Keith, you know, I know that you're still on our side and I still trust you. Like that was just immediate and he didn't even have to do any explanation to be like, like he literally gave one line of explanation, which was just the words, I'm still on your side. Like that means nothing. So I was just confused why, yeah. Yeah, like, it's, I think they're acting like the only bad thing that he did was, was betray them, like, Or was to give the cash to the Never like, Seen. They're like, that was his the Never Seen, but, like, or, yeah, but, but, like, but the, to be honest, in the framing of this story, the main bad thing that he did was make his friends believe that he had betrayed them and hurt their right, feelings. Right, because it's character driven. Yeah, exactly, and so he needs to, he needs to apologize not only for the plot stuff he did, but he needs to apologize for hurting their feelings and make up for it. Right, and the thing is, like, that brings me to my second issue with this scene, which is that I feel like the emotional damage that Keith caused the gang was, like, halfway addressed. And I wish that they had gone the whole way. Because what I noticed particularly was that, like, Sophie in the scene, she is so pissed at him. Like, I mean, like, deservedly so, but she is super, super angry at him, which one makes me confused why, like, later on, she's just totally fine with him. And then also, number two is that she's like, she's talking, she told him about how, um, how when Fitz heard the news, like, he didn't get angry or anything, he just started crying. And first of all, like, one, that breaks my heart, okay? Because I love Fitz. Me too, and, bro. Me too. <laughs> and second, it's like, I mean, Keith obviously feels really bad about this. Because, like, you wouldn't want to hurt your best friend's feelings, hopefully. Um, but that's never really addressed. Like, he's like, oh man, you know, I really hurt Fitz. And... I made him feel all terrible and betrayed and made him feel like everybody is leaving him. But then there's no ramifications of that because afterwards, once Sophie clears up that like, oh, Keith is actually still with us and we can still like talk with him and meet him. I don't remember this book well enough to know how okay Fitz is with it, but like it didn't have any sort of huge fallout. Yeah, yeah, no, everything that you said was very right. I think that, once again, they needed to figure out what was important because Fitz's reaction, being not super strong, is actually very fitting if the thing that was important was the plot, but that's not the thing that's important. And and it was just some muddling there. Yeah. Like, the consequences should be proportional to how important it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Anyway, I have I have one thing in this section. Yes, speak. <laughs> so on like in when they're talking, Keith says, "All you need to know is that I'm not like you, okay? The never seen aren't going to give me a choice." And then Sophie says, "Sophie's part of a project Black Swan blah blah blah. Mr. Forkel had always made it clear that any further involvement was up to her." 
there's always a choice, Keith. And it's like, oh, that, that like hit me. Cause I feel like Sophie is still in denial at this point because she really doesn't have a choice. And I think she accepts that and she grapples with that later. But at this point, she's still sort of blindly putting her faith in the black swan. Oof. Again, good writing. Yes! And that segues, like, perfectly into my next point, actually. Oh, awesome. Which is, like, afterwards... Okay, they do a lot of talking in this section, so I will say that. But afterwards, um, there's, like, they're discussing the Keefe situation with Magnate Leto, slash Mr. Forkle, slash Forkman. And <laughs> here's the thing. Okay, do you want me to say the good quick thing? F- I'll say the good quick thing first. Which is that, one, my favorite line in the entire series is in this chapter, okay? Which is the quote, it's all a rather dark shade of gray. This was my blog title for a very long time until the Dexvolution happened. I love this line a lot. I think it is wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, but that might just be a me thing. I don't know. Um, this, <laughs> however, the second Magnate Leto quote that I wanted to bring up is not my favorite quote. And it is the line, questionable to... Bleh, bleh. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't say that. Questionable <laughs> actions that. can be forgiven when they're done with good intentions. Yeah, that one. Which is like, um, I am like, I'm okay with him saying that if that's just part of his character, right? If that's something that Magnet Lido slash Mister Forkel like actually really believes, but like, I just personally disagree with what that statement is saying. That like, cause like, it's kind of saying that like, oh, if you mean to do well but you end up doing more harm than good, it's still okay because, like, your heart was in the right place, which I just don't really agree with, personally. But, like, I also see how you could agree with it. So it's an interesting line that way. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting in that, yes, it is in... I'm going to call him Forkman. It's in Forkman's character very very strongly because he's the leader of the black swan and he would believe that that's what they're doing we can manipulate a few children in order to save the world yeah i hope that they talk about this more because i think they've been slowly going towards a point where they're realizing that's not quite the case but i i don't think they're quite there yet and and i hope they get there i agree i do hope that the sort of moral ambiguity of the black swan is brought to the forefront at some point like and like actually just sort of faced head on rather than sort of alluding to it because i think they have been alluding to it more and more but like it it hasn't it hasn't ever really been like directly grappled with like because like they've done some pretty suspect things like they there was Gethin, who was like who had like his fingernails frozen off i keep coming back to this example but like yeah that's like a little bit of a war crime it's very much of a war crime <laughs> i read the entire I mean, geneva conventions one day while war. i was bored so i can tell you that yes it is a war <laughs> crime <laughs> yeah so the okay so what we have so far is like the black swan has committed war crimes the Never Seen has obviously committed war crimes. So has the, the council. council. They've all committed war crimes. Has war- also committed war crimes. Literally. I mean, 
At this point, what is a war crime? No, at this in the lost cities. At this point, like, if you're looking at human laws, literally every single major species I think has committed, like their government has committed some sort of war crime, except for maybe like the gnomes and the goblins. And the goblins and the gnomes are both helping the elves. So like, wow, the lost cities suck. And also, I feel like the lost cities in the books, they're like positioned as even though they're flawed, they're still better than the human world. Like, I feel like that's kind of the stance that the books take, which is an interesting stance. And I don't really know what to make of it yet. The last little mini section of this section is about the man, the myth, the legend, Prentice Endel. Prentice! So just recap of what happened is that it turns out that so the last line of Never Seen was Prentice is awake. Turns out that Prentice actually isn't awake. That he is just now somehow different than how he was before. I think the Prentice is awake thing is referring to the fact that he's able to be searched because Tam lifted the sha- like a, a layer of shadow vapor and so Mr. Forkle was able to search his mind. Okay, so so it's like no longer dangerous for you to search his mind. Like that's the difference between. But what does that even mean? Like, how does that mean that he's awake? I just don't understand. I think that okay, 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 okay. Taking the side of positivity here, we need some positivity I think that, here. Um, <laughs> I think that it could be kind of, kind of, a re- a reflection of the same thing we were just talking about with. Mr. Forkle, and how his values are perhaps different than the ones that the main characters have, and he might very well see able to be able to have information gotten from him and able to serve out his purpose, even if he's not like sentient. Like, wait, that's not the right word. Even if he's not conscious, that's the word. Um, he might see that as awake because. Um, in the same way you'd see a computer program as awake. Like, he's awake because we can use him. That's kind of a terrible way to think about a person, but like, yeah, you're right. Like, that is, that does seem actually like a decent definition of awake, and like, it makes sense. So, that was good positivity. I do have feelings on this that I will get into a little bit later, um, but Basically, what happens is that, like, Prentice is being kept in this house, right? Where, like, where, like, Tam is trying to, like, lift, he calls them, like, veils of shadow vapor. He's trying to, like, lift them out of Prentice's mind sort of one by one, but, like, they're really heavy and hard to move. Um, so they try to send Sophie and Fitz into Prentice's mind um, to try to get information about the lodestar symbol, which is the symbol that showed up in, it was on Keith's cloak. There was like a little disc on Keith's cloak. Yeah, so that is a thing that is happening. Um, before I get into Prentice, I do want to say though that when they are at Prentice's house, so this is where Tam and Lynn are. Yeah, I love them. Yeah, love Tam and Lynn. Would love to see them best. someday. <laughs> 
<laughs> Was that actually so accurate? I hate that. <laughs> but yeah, herein lies the iconic line. You look beautiful, Sophie said. Lynn always did. <laughs> Guys, Solon <laughs> is canon. I mean, she does. She does always. Yes. Mm. <laughs> mm. I'm very much a simp over that line. Honestly, yeah, like, Sophie's really just crushing hard right now. She literally is. Any other way to interpret that line. She describes every single female friend she has as, like, effortlessly beautiful. Like, yeah, like, please tell me Sophie is not bi. Like, please say that to my face. Like, <laughs> I mean, you can't because Corona, but like, say it to you from six feet away try to debate me over this you'll lose i did on the lynn vein uh-huh i did have love talking about lynn <laughs> i did have something i noticed when she was tam did the thing uh the lifting the shadow the paper. lifting thing uh and then lynn catches him and like uh, puts a floating water thing on his face. That's really descriptive. And but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Two things. About. The first thing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first thing is, um, they're hinting at they, they. Once again, there's a one-liner that hints at Flynn here, and I'm like, no, no, thanks, no. Uh, I mean, I don't think I think they kind of abandoned that. So like, it's it's cool. But then the second thing is that. Like, after that, Sophie's like, Lynn had come a long way since her days of being the girl of many floods and causing so many catastrophes. And it's like, I, I never noticed this before, but I just, I, I got this kind of like, it kind of was jarring when I read like, the girl of many floods, because I thought it was really cool when I first read it, and it is really cool, but it's like, they don't call anything else that way, do they? Tam is the boy of many shadows. <laughs> Sophie's the girl of many abilities. <laughs> That's, That's true. true. Nobody, nobody has, like, a cool nickname like that. Nobody has a cool name like that, and I think that it's very valid of Lynn to just be the only one with, like, an epic superhero name. Like, yes. I think I think they should all get I think they should all get stuffed animals and they should all get cool names. Yes, that is yes. Fitz will be the boy of many anger. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Prentice <laughs> You can't see me because this is a podcast, but I'm dying inside right now. If it's inside, how would seeing you help? <laughs> Big brain moment. I feel like we've talked about Prentice before, so, like, I'm not, I'm not gonna bring this up every episode, even if, like, it's relevant for every episode. This is just gonna be, like, my one time when I talk about it. I really, really dislike how there seems to be kind of, like, this bait-and-switch kind of thing where at the end of Never Seen, they're like, Prentice is awake, and then in Lodestar, it turns out that he's just not, because, and I possibly dislike this, like, even more than the Keefe situation, because you can justify Keith being a double agent and like it actually kind of makes sense and it's in his character for him to do so. However, I just really can't think of a situation in which like you could justify quote unquote waking up Prentice to just like immediately put him back to sleep again. And then on top of that to like take out Wiley later on in this book. 
And I think this ties into a bigger issue with Lodestar just in general, because Prentice seeming to wake up and then it turns out he actually didn't, it is so, so reminiscent of so many other things in this book. Keith seemed to betray them, but then it turns out he didn't. Even like the setting, like they're back at Foxfire. So like throughout all of Never Seen, it seems like they're finally leaving the Lost Cities. They're finally sort of going off on their own without their parents and like starting to figure things out for themselves. But then at the beginning of Lodestar, they're right back where they started. It, a lot of it seems like the plot and the development is kind of just looping back to before Never Seen started. Like Never Seen was like some sort of detour. And I don't mind having books that go off of the main plot. Like, I feel like Unlocked is kind of going to be like that kind of book. And so I don't, and I think those books can actually be really fun because they can be like a side quest, you know? But Never Seen was not a side quest because so much happened in Never Seen. So many very, very important plot related events happened that you can't really just try to pretend that some of it didn't happen. And that is my issue with Prentice. The, my issue isn't just with Prentice, even though I think Prentice was like the worst of it. My issue is with that bigger thing in Lodestar of like, it seems to pretend that some of Never Seen didn't exist or wasn't as important as it was made out to be in book four. Yeah, I agree. I think this this could have been done well if they had, but I okay. I think that uh, like a way they could have made it better or like done it better is um that made me think of what we were talking about before, where Sophie at the beginning is just feeling very like paranoid and just feeling like there are threats from all sides, right? Which I thought was really really good. And, I mean, not good that she thinks there are threats. Well, there are threats from all that. Not good that there are threats from all that. <laughs> right. But, yeah, it's good writing. It and was good writing. I think that they could have extended that, kind of, to to this this feeling, oh, that, that, that none of this is real. I mean, not that she thinks that none of it is real, but it's like this all, this feels too exactly what you were saying this feels like it's gone back to normal too fast so much happened and 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 then it didn't nothing happened with it what happened like that is a really effective way to create mystery and suspense and just feel like slightly uneasy yeah to just be like okay clearly something just went down so why is nobody talking about but it? But now everyone's acting like it's it didn't. Oh, and that would be, like, such a great way also to address, like... The themes of the Lost yeah, Cities, right? Yeah, how yeah. the Lost Cities just remain in complete denial about everything. Exactly, yeah. Like, that would be so good. And, and then, no. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, that was addressed to a certain extent, like you said, with Sophie and um, feeling like she's in danger all the time despite things having so having supposedly returned back to normal but like it could have been taken further yeah yeah mm-hmm. i mean i just in general i think i've been thinking about this um this comic strip thing that i saw a while back by like by pascal campion that was um like being growing in art 
is making the strong decisions. And I think that... <gasps> is that really the boldest stroke you can make? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Wait, yeah, yeah, no, it's that. that. And, and I think that, like, um, so- something that was a very strong decision was in Everblaze. Everblaze? No, never, s- no, wait. Okay, in one of the books, when Sophie read The Ogre King's Mind... Oh, that's, that's Everblaze, yeah. Everblaze, okay. I thought that was a very strong decision, and it spurred a lot of things into action, and it gave Sophie a lot of agency. And I feel like those strong decisions became fewer and far, farer, fewer and more further, far between, further between, further between as the books went on. And, and I, I, I wish that kind of, it would drift back towards, towards that model of Sophie making decisions or characters making decisions and that propelling the plot on or like not just decisions but like like really meaningful decisions i think that with the example with with the reading the mind where sophie was being smooth brained (laughs) 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 is the reason that that kind of jumps out as this really strong moment is because she could have she could have not done it and and it it would have been within her character it would have been within the story and everything for her not to have done it but she took the riskier option instead and those kinds of decisions specifically are really impactful and i feel like they haven't had very many of those. Sophie hasn't done anything done dumb. anything absolutely <laughs> off the rails ridiculous anymore. Yeah. That that duty has passed to Mr. Keith Sensen at this point, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna call him Mr. Duel the Ogre King. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I would like to see more of Mr. Duel the Ogre King and um, the mysterious Miss F. Chaos couple. Kind of being like, like with like Sophie kind of being a mentor to Keith and, and helping him through like, oh, like you're the chosen one, like now what kind of sort of thing. I do want to end this on a positive note though, because like, I don't want to give the wrong idea. Like, Lodestar is good. Like, I, I just find it easier to talk about things I didn't like, but this was good, man. But like, Okay, I like like to give a fair assessment of Lodestar. And again, I've only reread the first eight chapters, but like these first eight chapters, this is the best writing so far. Like the writing's just been getting steadily better. The plot is pretty, like the plot is good and it holds up and it like sticks together well. And the characters are all super well in character. They're just like, they're well done. They're complex. And Lodestar's like, it's just like a really solid genuinely enjoyable book to read yes agreed it's it's it feels like a book which is a very which is a very general statement to make but but it feels like you know a a a novel a narrative that was polished and intentional 
and yeah i feel like a lot of long series like when they get to towards the middle of the series like books book four book five a lot of long series tend to suffer from like ceasing to have a plot because a lot of this stuff ends up just being like set up for the big climax in the final book of the series however i think that Cuddle doesn't really fall into that trap like i think never seen and lodestar are like two of the strongest dare i say the strongest books in the series because you have the like the added stakes of like this being later in the series so there's like bigger villains bigger issues but at the same time they're just um they still remain like really strong stories with strong plots okay is that it we did not talk about the jolie thing at all wait what jolie thing well it was just prentice but oh when they went into prentice's mind and like yeah, yeah and prentice showed arrived as like jolie uh-huh i mean there isn't much to talk about i just really liked that part i thought it was um no i agree like it gets to be a little i really like all those I really like all those, like, scenes when Sophie's inside other people's minds, because, like, you're not restricted by stuff that, like, is able to happen in the real world, so you can be a bit more, like, experimental and just, like, have stuff just kind of go off the rails and, like, it's normal, like, such as Prentice appearing as Jolie and, like, it just being acceptable and her flying around on a black swan everywhere, you know? Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's something that, um... That actually, that works really, really well in um, this writing style uh, is, is, is these things where, you know, these, like, like, you know, mind-boggling, like, ri- like, things happen. It's like the and, pink like, elephant scene in Dumbo. <laughs> you're right. I think, okay, like, this one part, it's like, the fractals shifted again, flickering through so many colors it felt like standing in a disco ball. Jolie's image flickered too, her features growing vague and smudged. It's strange, sometimes I feel so sane, and other times. The light shattered. Icy splinters jabbed Sophie's consciousness, screeching like nails on a chalkboard as she plummeted. And it's like, that is so so cool! It's so good! And it's like, I I feel like that's something, it feels so effortless yeah no i agree you can find us at keepercast on tumblr and the keepercast on instagram um send us a message or a dm there and we will answer it at some point i think we're doing we're answering questions every couple months probably um and you can also find me at malamelting on both tumblr and instagram and you can find me at aelin-ashriver-galathinius on Tumblr. We will be reading chapters 9 through 20 of Lodestar next week. And we upload on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Pacific. So look out for that. And this has been KeeperCast. See you next week.